just like facts have no place with an organized religion. Michael Graff. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done. And then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. The Michael Graff Show. Hi, it's a kite, everybody. Goofballs. How would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. As our odd podcast schedule sort of continues. It is, of course, uh, the one, the only zip code famous Michael Groff show. It is Saturday, October 30th, 2010. I know we're doing another one of these shows on Saturday. Well, what else do I have to do? I suppose I could just sit in my bed and take Vicodin and Depakote and morphine all day. Wheel my bed up to the computer and, uh, you know, wheel my bed into the studio. Hey, man, I'm going to do a podcast. (laughs) That actually kind of sounds like fun, but you know what? Not a very productive way to live one's life, I would say. All right. Contact information for the program, Mike at KMGX.com. It is Mike at KMGX.com. That's also our PayPal address so that you can contribute monetarily to this program. Again, Mike at KMGX.com on email and PayPal. AOL Instant Messenger available to you 24-7, 365. The screen name over there is Michael Groff Show. Love hearing from people on AIM, so by all means. Of course, all of the other relevant information to this program available at the one, the only MichaelGroff.com. Yes, it's still in the transitional stages of becoming a real website. One day it will be. I don't know when that will be, uh, but I can tell you this. It will probably be before Jeebus returns. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go out on a limb and guess that. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I am so glad we're only three days away from the election. I see President Obama is running around today. He's he's all over the place. He's. Uh, where, where is he today? I know he's going to Connecticut. He's going to be in Chicago later this afternoon. He's out there stumping, saying, you know, uh, we, they can't roll back our, our progress. If this is progress, I'd love to see it rolled back. You know how the, the Democrats, you know what their big thing is now? You know, Obama's big thing is that they say, when you're driving a car, 
You put it in D. If you want to go backwards, you put it in R. Ha ha. See, we're very clever. Well, given... See, what, what happens, though, when you're stuck in the mud, when you're stuck in a hole, you don't put your car in D. You don't drive further into the mud. You don't drive further into the hole. Yes, you put it in R, then. Or in my case, I would put it in three, as in a third gear, a third party. I'd put it in nothing. I'd just buy a new car. <laughs> my car got stuck in the mud. I'd just get a new car. Screw it. Or what I would do is, if I, you know, I would go out and buy a big old $14 trillion car. Why not just borrow, borrow the money? from my very, very rich Chinese relatives. That sounds like a good idea. That's kind of what we've done, so why not? Uh, anyway, three days away from You Decide 2010. So I'm uh, getting geared up for that. I've, I've just been kind of studying my sample ballot today. I've been sitting here kind of looking over some of these uh, propositions here in the state of Arizona, looking over who I'm going to vote for, looking over the judges. You know, the, the, the thing about our uh, ballots is you know, we have these judges on there, too. Every two years, you, you vote yes or no to whether or not you want to reappoint these judges to these various positions. And quite frankly, I don't know much about many of these judges. I don't really have the time to sit there and try and iron it out, try to figure out which one of these judges is, is good and bad. The only time I usually know whether or not to go one way or the other on a judge is if I remember a specific case where the judge has made either an incredibly great decision or just an, a horribly egregious decision. And that's about the only way I know whether or not I, I'm going to vote up or down on these judges. Because I really, frankly, I, and I'm, I'm into voting, don't get me wrong, I, I, I never miss an election, I'm always there. But I don't know if I really want to take the time to review every single judge that's on here and decide. So what I usually do is I, I generally leave that blank unless it's a judge that I know specifically um, has done good or bad. And I know some people would just say, well, I just vote no on all of them because uh, generally it's just good to throw them all out. Well, I don't know. I, I disagree with that. But usually I, I just remember a specific case or two where a judge has made a, uh, an incredibly, uh, well, an astute decision or, or a terrible decision. So that's how I make that uh, determination. And then, of course, we have our medical marijuana proposition here. I'm still waiting on that. Um, I, I look at the poll for that every day. I see in uh, California they have, what is it, Proposition 19 to make uh, marijuana legal. Speaking of that, this is funny. So at the World Series, Games 1 and 2 of the World Series, uh, you have media from all over, the, all over the world that's out there. Of course, you have every uh, media outlet from Texas, specifically the Dallas-Fort Worth area, covering this uh, World Series because, of course, the Texas Rangers are involved. And uh, so people from Texas are, are funny. They, they go out to, uh, well, it's a complete dichotomy. You live in Dallas or you live mo in many parts of Texas. It's a very conservative area, very Bible Belt, very, well, it's very, very not California. Let's just put it that way. And then when you go to San Francisco, which is like the most liberal city in the United States, and you're walking around there and you're just seeing all the weirdness that is associated with uh, the city of San Francisco. You kind of go, oh, wow, this is like I might as well. I'm, I feel like I'm living on a uh, on a different planet uh, completely. So there's there's that there's that aspect that you have. 
that you have to contend with. And, and you're kind of sitting there going, well, gee, uh, this, this just seems weird. So there's a reporter uh, from a station in Dallas that's there. And he goes, I can smell weed here. Well, yeah, you're in California. The entire state smells like weed. Haven't you noticed that? So this is, this is pretty funny. So uh, this is, uh, I don't know who this guy is, but this is a reporter from Dallas. And, and he says, uh, he's just reporting. He's doing a, a pregame talk up. He's uh, just, you know, talking back and forth to the anchors. And he goes, uh, yeah, man, I smell it here. Here's, here's a little bit of that. Check this out. This is San Francisco. And I can tell you right over there, there's some people smoking weed because it's coming this way. We are truly, we are truly in San Francisco. Hey, look, I'm standing here. I'm like, that's. Meanwhile, people in Texas smoke weed. People smoke weed everywhere. Like, haven't you sort of figured that out? It's pretty common. I can't believe it. People are smoking weed. This is unbelievable. Smoking weed in San Francisco. That's crazy talk. I don't know. I, I, it seems kind of normal to me. Let me see. So let me continue with this uh, with this story. It's not cigarettes. That's weed. That's weed. Is it legal? Anchors are laughing. Is it legal? Hold on. That's weed. That's weed. Is it legal there? That's you. Is it legal there? No, it's not legal there. That's why they have a proposition on the ballot. Can you imagine that? These, uh, these anchors that are... Is it legal there? You guys are in the news business. Shouldn't you know that? Talk about people that aren't very passionate about news. A, lot, a little more liberal, maybe? So, Nui, I'm assuming you're a big Rangers fan. What's it like being surrounded by all of these Giants fans out there? Do you feel like you can be yourself? I mean, people are nice here. We're not in New York, okay? Nobody's going to spit on us. Somebody's <laughs> going to come up here and tell us that we're bad people. San Francisco, people smoking weed over there. They don't care. <laughs> they they're, 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 they want to see their team win, but they're all half buzzed out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Josh Hamilton of the Texas Rangers said that while he was uh, in the outfield, he could smell pe he could smell weed. He said uh, he was getting a contact high because people were smoking weed out there. I mean, come on, it's not like it's that much weed. I mean, I've been to a, I've been to concerts. I've been to like Bon Jovi and the Alan Parsons Project. Probably the two places I smelled the most weed in my entire life. That was a contact high. I had never, I didn't smoke weed uh, for for. A long, long time, uh, and and I, I knew that I was getting a good contact tie from that. There's only a couple of times. One time, I can tell you for sure, I got a contact tie off of weed. A couple other times, I thought maybe I was getting one, and now that I know what the high is actually like, I can tell you, I think I was. When I was at a Bon Jovi concert, uh, there was definitely a lot of weed there. An Alan Parsons project, and yes, you talk about a lot of weed. This guy, he just can't believe people are smoking weed. I can't believe it. Oh, See a couple wow. giants, man. <laughs> Right. But they're not, but unlike there New York, are. they're not mean. <laughs> they're nice people. They're not mean. So. They look like fun people. <laughs> hey, I've got to ask you. Yes, that they is, are. That is a live location that we haven't seen before. It's absolutely beautiful. Where are you exactly? It's called McCovey Cove. We are right outside. Well, let's see if you can get a shot of this. Um, this is the stadium, and guys like Josh Hamilton are going to hit a bunch of home runs during batting practice. So all the ships come out here. People have their kayaks. They're all trying to catch uh, World Series home run balls. So it's a great shot, and this stadium is right here on the water uh, here in San Francisco. It's a beautiful stadium. It's, I think it's the best stadium I've ever been to for a major league contest. But this is a this is an event to be at. Everybody is uh, trying to get tickets. I've witnessed people up here they want six to seven hundred dollars just for standing room only tickets and those people who can't i guess they'll just sit out here and 
smoke weed like these folks over here to the left. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a beautiful place to do that, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, hold your breath, I guess. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nui. We'll thanks, check Nui. back with you later. Have yeah. fun out there. Ha ha ha. I can't believe people are smoking weed. That just, that seems so unbelievable to me that people would be smoking weed at a, at a baseball game. The World Series of look. If I just paid, I was reading. Uh, some people were selling their tickets uh, for five thousand dollars or more. If I spent five thousand dollars for a ticket to the World Series, I'd probably be smoking quite a bit of weed myself, or drinking, or something to try and you know realize to try and rationalize with myself that I just spent five grand for World Series tickets. You know, several years ago, well, back in two thousand one. When the Arizona Diamondbacks were in the World Series, I tried uh, to get World Series tickets. I had playoff tickets that year, but I tried to get World Series tickets. And you know, um, it was it was strange. Uh, the the ticket prices I, I had I had you know some money. I, I had about a thousand bucks that I was willing to fork out for uh, World Series tickets. And uh, the problem was is people just mobbed the ticket window. And there was just no way uh, people were waiting out there for so long. There was no way. I was in college at the time, though I really didn't care. Had I known how things were going to turn out, had I known how what a waste of time college was, I really, I, I would have just said, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to class. I'm going to wait for World Series tickets. Because I think the 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 final game of the of the league championship series was on a, I want to say it was on a Sunday. So Sunday night, of course, right after the final out was recorded against the Braves, the World Series tickets went on sale. And I remember I, I was here. I was in this very room. And I said, I got to go down there. But, of course, people were waiting since, like, Friday, assuming that the Diamondbacks were going to win the series. And then, uh, so they were waiting there. So thousands of people were already waiting there over the weekend, just assuming that Diamondbacks were going to be- beat the Braves to get the World Series tickets. So I had no shot, unfortunately. And somebody in one of my classes uh, had World Series tickets, and I was I was trying to buy them off him, but uh, somebody else uh, forked, forked over like two grand for him. They were terrible seats, too. They were the seats that normally you'd spend like $8 for, and somebody bought them for 2000 So, uh, you know, I, I was like, all right, I guess I really don't want to see the World Series that bad. I can just watch it from here. That'll be fine. You know, it's just the World Series. It's not like you. Uh, it's not like your team's not going to be in the World Series every single year, right? Unless they're the Yankees. But not this year, Yankee fan. All right. Anyway, uh, so we've got that. Oh, I have to tell you. Speaking of sports, speaking of weird prices for tickets, this is crazy. It was the Miami Heat's home opener. All right, Miami. Uh, of course, big news over the summer. They got LeBron James. They have Chris Bosh. They have Dwayne Wade. It's like these superstars. You know, the, the Miami Heat. It's a big deal. LeBron James said he was going to take his talents to South Beach. Anyway, uh, so there has never been more hype for a home opener ever than there was for this this Miami Heat home opener because of LeBron James. So tickets for this event on StubHub, there were people selling tickets for this. This is a regular season game. I want to emphasize this game is just one of 41 home games and one of 82 games in a regular season of the NBA. This one game, this home opener, tickets on StubHub were going for $25,000. Remember last year, remember earlier this year in the summer when the Lakers were in the NBA Finals? 
um, they they had tickets going for God. What was it? it was like they there were some tickets that were going for about twenty five, twenty seven, twenty eight thousand dollars, and that was an NBA Finals game in at Staples Center in Los Angeles. We're talking the Lakers. We're talking the the franchise. The arguably the greatest franchise in the NBA. I would think Celtics fans would certainly dispute that. But okay, number one or the number two biggest franchise in the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers. So they were getting $25,000 for finals tickets. This is a regular season game. They're charged. Somebody on StubHub is selling his tickets for twenty five grand, And you know that he got them. You know he was able to sell those because somebody went, I got to go see LeBron James. Just relax. LeBron is going to be in Miami now for what, five years, six years at least? Barring some kind of unforeseen circumstance is going to be there. Slow down. Is it that important to see LeBron James in a home opener? Who are they playing there? What, what, uh, I can't remember who they were playing in the home opener. Oh, Orlando, $25,000. Yeah. Seems kind of insane to me, but all right. All right, coming up after the break, we got to talk about it. Another new terror plot was discovered. More ways for Al-Qaeda, at least that's who they suspect, to blow us up. And a lot of other stuff. The Michael Groff Show Stupid News File. A guy who is maybe the luckiest guy on the planet. And you got to love it when people get random bits of luck. And I don't know if I necessarily believe in the concept of luck. But in this case, that's just what it is. You got to love when people get lucky doing something incredibly dumb. I mean, they get it's it's something to, that people should give a guy accolades for. It's not like it's a bad thing. It's just something totally weird, one of those fluky things. You know, we'll talk about it. It's a very strange story to say the least. All of that and much more still coming up. What the devil is that ghastly noise? The Michael Groff Show. I am so stupid. It's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. We're so It's the zip code famous Michael Graff show. I'm you Saturday, October 30th, 2010. Tomorrow is Halloween. Ooh. Maybe we'll do one of our special Halloween shows where we go outside and scare, scare the kids and everything. I think that'd be fun. That's cool. I remember our Halloween spectaculars in, in years past. A disgruntled voice guy uh, back in the old days uh, handing out uh, anthrax-laced candy after 9-11. Well, that's what he told the kids. You know, that didn't go over too well. That, that was not a good bit.
tell you, I think I think that's why a lot of kids don't come to this house anymore. Still, I, that that was nine years ago. Come on, man, let it go. I, I just. <laughs> Some people are just so incredibly harsh and unforgiving. I mean, really. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Also, that's our PayPal address. Should you feel the need to contribute monetarily to this program, Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Grav Show. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Our chat channel and everything else related to this program found at the one, the only, MichaelGrav.com. Yeah. All right. A new terror plot uh, was unveiled yesterday when planes from Yemen were reported to have uh, all sorts of bad stuff aboard, uh, including ink cartridge bombs. We had uh, reports of powder and uh, cell phones with devices, explosive devices, reportedly in various cargo planes. So now, you know, how I always think about these things. My thought is, well, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect air travel? Especially if I plan to go on on a plane here in the next several weeks, uh, I'm just sort of curious uh, how, what, what kind of new measures and new rules and new crap are we going to have to put up with with the TSA at airports across the country? What sort of new radical security measures are going to be put in place? What are we going to have to deal with? How is it going to affect me? What do I have to know? How badly am I going to get sodomized when I go to a security checkpoint at an airport now? As it is, it's always bad for me because whenever I travel someplace, there's this bag. I have this carry-on bag that I have with me and it's got my laptop, has my digital camera, it has uh, usually my, my radio or something. It has usually several different electronic devices in it. Plus, sometimes I leave my cell phone in my carry-on bag. Sometimes I, I manage to put it back in my pocket, but whatever. Whenever it goes through uh, the, the checkpoint, though, uh, they you, know, you have to have everything in there. So I always get flagged. They, most of the time, I get pulled aside, at least at, at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. I get pulled aside, and I have somebody that goes through my bag every single time. And it's usually the same guy. Like, I'm on a first-name basis. Ah, oh, hey, Frank, how's it going? Hey, Mike, how's, how's, how's it going? How's, how's the girlfriend? How's, uh, you know, how have you been feeling lately? It's like every single time I go through there, the same guy, yeah, yeah, I know. You don't have a bomb on here. You're not wearing a towel on your head. Meanwhile, you know, um, Akbar and, uh, and all these other guys are walking right on. Yeah, Hamed is walking right through the security checkpoint. You know, he's got wires hanging out of his back pocket. Meanwhile, they're pulling me aside. That's what I love. They're pulling me and the 75-year-old quadriplegic woman. They're pulling both of us aside and checking our stuff. But the question is, how is this going to affect everybody? Well, I have an answer for you. Now you can expect to get more random pat-downs at uh, security checkpoints. This is, of course, along with other different precautionary measures that they're going to be putting into place. And the part of this that I find extremely disconcerting is how people are dealing with this, how people are reacting uh, to the new security measures that are going to be put into place. Most people are just sort of going, eh, that's cool. 
Yeah, you know, they want to x-ray us. They want to pat us down now with the, with not the back of the palm, by the way, with the front of the palm. They're going to do full, full cop and feels when you go through the security checkpoint now. This is from the TSA. Here's a report. This is from CBS2 in New York talking about the new measures that are going to be put into place at LaGuardia. And they're talking about the pat-downs. And listen to how people are reacting to this. Most people have this very laissez-faire attitude. They're like, ah, you know, that's cool. That's fine. Listen to these sheep and how they're reacting to this. This is just unbelievable. The idea of a close one-on-one physical search conducted by a Transportation Security Administration agent is not sitting well with Swedish resident Sebastian Holst. Yeah, it could be a little bit too much. But anyone who sets off a metal detector or refuses to walk through one of the TSA's all-revealing X-ray scanners at an airport will now have to let an agent search them in a much more intimate manner, as in palms out with a sliding motion, instead of using the previously approved palms in padding technique. With a vibrating dildo. The majority dildo. of the travelers who we met here at LaGuardia say they're willing to subject themselves to the TSA's new pat-down procedure, but they do have some concerns. Comfort. I would prefer to walk through a machine that would show them things but not be touched. <laughs> There's many religions where a woman should not be touched by oh someone God. else other than their husband and things like that. And it's not appropriate. Uh, at first it caught me off guard, but then, you know, when I really think about it, 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 it makes sense. You know, because oh, it, yeah. it, people can get so creative with trying to hide things now. So, if it, like I said, it, it all comes down to safety. Traveler Precious Broussard says the issue is important enough that she's willing to sacrifice personal comfort for peace of mind. Wow. It is a little bit more intimate, but I'd rather you be intimate and me get on the plane safely <laughs> than not. The TSA's position, quote, passengers should continue to expect an unpredictable mix of security layers that include explosives trace detection, advanced imaging technology, canine teams, among others. The goal, according to counterterrorism experts, is to increase the protection of commercial aviation, which they say continues to be an attractive target for terrorists. At LaGuardia Airport, J. Dow, CBS 2 News. The TSA says that their pat-down procedure will continue to be conducted by screeners who are the same gender as the passenger. Absolutely unbelievable. That was my reaction when I heard that. And that's how people react to these things. They go, eh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more intimate, but I'd rather get on the plane safely. <laughs> I mean, these people are unbelievable. All those people that say, oh, yeah, you can take people's freedoms away as long as you do it incrementally. I used to laugh at those people. They're absolutely right. What is the quote that I always go back to on this show? What is, what is one of the greatest quotes in the history of, of the United States, in American history, the greatest quote, they who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. That's one of the quotes from American history that I always have memorized. I learned that quote probably 17, 18 years ago. And I have never forgotten it. I Sometimes I misquoted, I say security instead of safety. But anyway, the point is that's Ben Franklin that said that. They who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And I know what happens when I, people go, wow, Mike, do you just want anybody to get on the plane? Look, we know who has the potential to cause trouble on these planes. We know how to go about it. How is it that we went all those years before 9-11 and we had just metal detectors and people who had a vigilant eye and we didn't have any planes getting blown up. Yeah, every once in a while a plane would get hijacked. Yeah, every once in a while, but never to the extent. And now, 
Now we've had more incidents on planes following 9-11 than we did in the years and years and years before. We went almost a hundred years since the invention of the aircraft without very many incidents. Sure, outside of the United States, remember over Lockerbie, Scotland, they had that incident. We had lots of incidents uh, over, uh, over Russia, over Eastern Europe. Many incidents internationally, but not here in the United States because we had some vigilance. We had people that just kept an eye on things a little bit better. But now we have people that just go, ah, we'll just run them through body scanners. And yet, you know, it's odd. We had, we had these body scanners last year and that guy tried to ignite his underwear and blow stuff up then. We have people that are still smuggling crap on a cargo planes. Remember this. If terrorists want to blow you up badly enough, they're going to do it. They'll just stand on the ground and fire a shoulder-mounted missile at a plane. All the security in the world's not going to stop that. We have air marshals on board aircraft now. Of course, they're taking the air marshals and they want them to sit in coach class. They don't want them to be in first class anymore because, uh, well, they need that money for those first class seats. They're not nickel and diming passengers enough with bag fees and snacks and drinks and breathing the air on the plane and using the bathroom. That's true, by the way. They are charging you to use the bathroom now. On that, what is that, Ryan Air? They're charging you to do that. Use the bathroom. That's why I would just pee my pants. I would just pee on the plane. I'd be like, oh, there you go. You're a terrorist, sir. <laughs> but really, it comes down to this. The people, will, people are willing to give up their liberty. People are willing to give up their security for the idea, for the, for the presence of a little bit more safety, for the notion that they're going to be a little bit safer. What is it that I always say? Uh, Chris Rock uh, Chris Rock once said that uh, airport security just is there to make white people feel safer. It's true doesn't really provide any more safety, especially the way we do it. We take, we pull aside average everyday people like myself and 75 year old women in wheelchairs. And I've seen it more than once at the airport. You're pulling me aside and you're letting the guys from Saudi Arabia, you're letting those people walk right on through. And then the one time they try to do something about it, guess what happens? Uh, the, the planes, uh, the, the airline gets sued. Remember when those people from those imams were all standing around speaking in Farsi or whatever it was uh, in the Minneapolis airport. There's a whole bunch of them standing around. They were speaking in Farsi. They were acting suspicious. So a, a vigilant passenger, not an employee, but a vigilant passenger went to the counter and said something to somebody. And then security came by and they, and they said, all right, look, you guys, you know, uh, you guys, you're not going to be able to get on this plane or we're going to put a couple of you on a plane. Uh, we're going to put you on a plane separately. And they got, a, they got pissed off. Oh, this is an outrage. You can't do this. Yes, we can. Yeah, we kind of can because guess what? It's Middle Eastern, mostly men, Middle Eastern men between the ages of 16 and 40. That's who we are very conscientious of right now. Those are the people that we're keeping an eye on. And unfortunately, you happen to fall into that subgroup. It's like if a guy, if, if a white male between the ages of 40 and 50 with brown hair and a white shirt driving a red truck robs a bank, you're going to be out there looking for white men driving red trucks with brown hair. You're not going to pull over Hispanic guys driving a green truck 
You're not going to pull over old ladies driving a blue car. You're going to be looking for the specific characteristics of the, of the suspect. And just in this case, we should be looking for the specific aspects or the specific characteristics of those who we suspect of terrorism. Not pulling aside 75-year-old women. I'm sorry, I just don't see that being such a great idea. How about just people have a little bit more vigilance, people have a little bit more common sense. That is how you stop terrorism on airplanes. We didn't have to worry about terrorism in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And the reason that we didn't was because... We had more common sense, you know, and, and, and this idea that, you know, now we're not going to let people go up to the gate. We're not going to let family members go up to the gate and greet people as they come off the plane. And we're not going to, um, you know, that was the first step. And the next step was restricting what you can bring on the plane. You can't bring water past the checkpoint anymore. And you know what that was all about? That was all about getting, bringing more money into the struggling airports. That's not conspiracy, incidentally. That's truth. Airports have been floundering. Airlines have been floundering. So now they won't even let you bring water past the security checkpoints or, or soda or anything like that in your carry-ons. And the reason that they do that is they don't want you to drink water that you bring in on the plane. This isn't about safety. No, no, no. The reason that they don't want you to do that, they want you to go and buy it at the concessions, at the, uh, you know, the various little shops beyond the security checkpoint. Let me tell you the difference. There's a difference in price. I noticed this while I was traveling most recently when I uh, wasted those uh, couple of weeks to go to Jacksonville, Florida. I, um, I, I was out uh, at the Jacksonville airport before the security checkpoint. There's a little shop there and uh, you could buy, um, I was going to get a Coke Zero. And then I was like, oh yeah, you can't bring it past. But I wanted to see the price anyway. I think I mentioned this on the air. The price... Before the security checkpoint, it was like a buck fifty for a bottle of Coke Zero. You know, little uh, like a like a twenty ounce bottle. On the other side of the security checkpoint, it was two forty nine. A dollar difference in price. I didn't look at the bottles of water, but I think they were all the same. I think all of the soda products were like two were at the, beyond the checkpoint were like two dollars forty nine cents for twenty ounce bottles. I think all the water, if I remember right, was was two dollars or something. Or maybe it was all two fifty. Before the checkpoint, it was a lot less. Just like if you want to eat at a restaurant, it's a difference in price. It's how they get you. But I just the idea that people are so willing just to go. Well, I'll rock through these checkpoints. I don't care. I'll let them. I'll let them grope me. I'll let them open hand feel me up. You know, I'm just waiting for one of these TSA people to go. All right, listen. One of these female, you know, and they they say they're going to be you know the same gender checking people out. And I'm not saying this to be gratuitous. I'm 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 totally dead serious about this. I'm waiting for one of these TSA agents to just to 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 put, insert. Uh, their fingers inside of people. And you know what I mean by that. I'm talking going right up the old corn chute. I'm talking about going in someone's dumper or putting, you know, going up going up a, a, a chick's hoo-ha and, and for the purposes, of course, of checking to see if they have any, uh, any narcotics or checking to see if they have any uh, explosives up there. I'm probably giving them ideas right now. You know, we could do that. I'm telling you right now, if one of these guys like went and grabbed my package, one of these TSA guys, I'd punch him in the face. I don't care if you label me a terrorist. I mean, that's it's going too far. There's a point where somebody, for the love of God, has to stand up and go, all right, 
all right, enough. We have compromised way too much of our liberty in the name of quote unquote safety. Meanwhile, just it was just, uh, what, a month and a half ago that that guy went nuts on a plane that uh, he was an employee. Was he JetBlue, I think? One of these guys. He went nuts. A passenger told him to go F himself or something like that. And he, he goes, all right, fine. And he grabs a beer and he opens the emergency exit, inflates the slide and leaves. And that guy is supposedly, he supposedly has government clearance. And we're worried about the passengers that get on board. That's what we're concerned with. As I've said before, airlines are unhijackable now. It is impossible for a guy to hijack a plane anymore. And you know why? Because the people on board a plane are not going to let it happen. Number one, we have air marshals on board. Number two, even if there's not an air marshal on board the plane, the passengers won't let it happen. And you know how I know this? Uh, I've mentioned this on the the show before. I remember it was uh, in June of 2002. So what is that? Nine months after uh, 9-11. I'm on board a, uh, a flight from Phoenix to Minneapolis. And uh, I don't know, we're about halfway through the flight. And there's these two Middle Eastern guys on board. And you can say what you want about this, but for better or for worse, everybody on the plane was watching these guys. That's just how it was. This was the post 9-11 vigilance that people were exercising. That's what uh, Homeland Security was telling us, Department of Defense. They were telling us, you know, be vigilant, watch over these things. So everybody was watching these guys and they both got up at the same time. And the reason is one guy wanted to go to the bathroom. The guy in the middle wanted to go to the bathroom. So the guy in the end, they both stood up. And you know what happened? Everybody on the plane simultaneously, you just heard everybody clicked off their seatbelts all at once. Because people were thinking, hey, this guy's going to be ready. You heard people murmuring. You heard people just going, I don't know, man, what's going on here? The seatbelt sign was still on, by the way. So this was just, people were, were ready to go. If these guys wanted to cause some trouble, people were ready to go right there. We did a story on the show several years later about a, a flight over Australia where somebody tried to open the cockpit door. Like a whole bunch of people grabbed the guy. One guy strangled him. The guy wound up being killed because he wanted to gain access to the cockpit door. A passenger did it. That's why I say airlines are unhijackable now. And as for uh, somebody trying to do something on a plane, well, I don't even think that's altogether all that possible. Sure, I guess anything is possible. But I see it as the same chance of it happening now as before 9-11. You can institute all these security measures all you want. All it does is inconvenience passengers. All it serves to do is slow down these security lines, slow down travel, and make people even more agitated and make less people interested in air travel. Some people are saying, you know what, maybe I'll just drive or maybe I just won't make that trip now. Me, I'm going to be taking flights. And, and believe me, if I could drive, I'm telling you this right now, if I, if I could drive, I would just drive. I would drive to where I wanted to go. I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's Las Vegas. I don't care if it's Michigan. I don't care where the F it is. I would much rather drive if I can than fly. But unfortunately, I don't have that luxury. I wish I did. You know, not being able to drive, that does suck. I wouldn't take a plane. Why would I? Why do I, why do I want to get groped? Why do I want to get felt up by one of these TSA guys? And you know that's what's going to happen. The next time I go now with these new measures in place, and because I have all those electronics, somebody's going to pull me aside and go, oh, yeah, you're a white guy. You're a 32-year-old white guy. 
32 year old, you know, middle class looking white dude, you definitely pose a threat to the security of this country. If anything, I'm helping the security of this country because I can tell you this right now. If some little, uh, if some Hamid or some uh, one of these guys, Mohammed, wants to get up and try and start crap on a plane, you, you know who's going to be one of the first guys to beat the guy down? It's going to be me. Trust me. I'll throw down with any one of these dudes if they want to start some crap on a plane. Major stuff's going to go down if that tries to, if they try to do something like that with me on board. Because at that point, and, and I think most passengers feel this way, if you're on a plane and someone wants to start some stuff, what have you got to lose? Because if you're unsuccessful or if you do nothing, you're probably going to die. And if you do something, eh, maybe you get shanked, maybe you don't, but at least you have a chance of defending yourself and everybody else on board the aircraft. But these sheeple that are out there going, ah, you know, I guess I'm, I'm okay with it. What do we, let, me, let me play that again. Let me play that, that one guy in there especially. Hold on. Where's... Show them things but not be touched. Yeah. There's many religions inappropriate. Uh, at first it, it caught me off guard, but then, you know, when I really think about it, 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 it makes sense, you know, because it, it, we, people can get so creative with trying to hide things now. So, if it, like I said, it, it all comes down to safety. Traveler. It all comes down to safety. <laughs> I mean, because, like I said, you know, people can get so creative. I mean, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I'm, what, if, what if they said to you, you know what, okay, what we, you have to... We, we want to make sure that you don't have any type, of, uh, any type of explosive on you. If we suspect you do, you have to strip naked and we're going to do, we're going to put one of those, what are those things called? A sigmoidoscope. We're going to put one of those or whatever they're called, uh, those, those scopes they put right into your rectum. And again, I'm not saying this to be gratuitous. I'm telling you right now, what if they said to you, you know what, we're going we're gonna to put a scope right into your rectum. We're going to put it right on up there. We're going to do like a, like a colonoscopy, except we're going to just be scoping around, not to see if you got poop and not to see if you got polyps. We're going to look around to see if, uh, if you got uh, some explosives hidden up there. I bet some of these people would sit there and go, well, I, I mean, it makes sense. It, it sounds like a good idea. I mean, I don't know. It seems, seems logical to me. <laughs> Take away my liberties. We're only 200 years removed from live free or die. We're only 200 years removed, 225, 235 years removed from people that fought and died to protect this country from an oppressive government and from people that wanted to restrict them. And now here we are. We're letting people do it. I'm in disbelief, but you know, maybe I shouldn't be. You people are so willing to just let this happen. I guess you get what you deserve. That guy, that, that sound bite right there, that just, that drives me insane. Uh, at first it caught me off guard, but then, you know, when I really think about it, 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 it makes sense, you know. It makes sense. <laughs> it, 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 people can get so creative with trying to hide uh, things now. So if it, like I said, it, it all comes down to safety. What a douche. Really, I mean, what a, what a, just an insane, what an insane jackass. This woman too. It is a little bit more intimate, but I'd rather you be intimate and me get on the plane safely. <laughs> Than not. The All right, I'm going to be intimate with you. You know what I'm going to? I'm going to use this special uh, device and I'm going to insert it into your hoo-ha. I just want to make sure that you don't have any explosives in your vagina. I want to make sure you don't have any explosive in your vagina, up your nose, in your ass, down your throat. You know, it's better, ma'am, it's, it's a lot better if you just take your clothes off. And we're just taking pictures. The only reason we're taking pictures of this and rolling video 
uh, in this dimly lit room with a bunch of guys standing here. The only reason that we're doing this, ma'am, is for security. Because that way we'll have pictures of you. So if you try to start anything, we'll know who you are. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you can roll the video. And it's, I mean, as long as you're wearing that security uniform, I'm willing to accept anything that you do to me. <laughs> it's tantamount to legal rape. It's what you're going to be getting very soon. They're going to do these full pat-downs. People say, oh, come on, Mike, you're blowing it way out of proportion. Look, if I told you that they would be doing this 20 years ago, you'd look at me and go, oh, come on, that's not going to happen. Not in the United States. They only do that in Israel, or they only do that in, in a few places around the world. They, they wouldn't do that here in the United States. That would never happen. The people would never allow it to happen. Well, guess what? People allowed it to happen because you get fear-mongered. And you get fear-mongered by both the left and the right into this crap because people can say, well, you know, this all happened in the Bush administration. Well, guess what? Obama's in office now. It's a different change. It's a changing of the guard. And the same old crap is still happening. And you people are letting it happen. And if you ask, what can we do? Well, what you can start doing is you can start demanding that you get your rights from people. And if you can't get them by demanding them, then you put people in office that will. And if you can't get it that way, well, then I guess what you have to do is you have to do it 1776 style. I don't know what else to tell you. As for me, I'm fed up. I, I, I really am. I'm I've had it. So I'm only going to be electing people and I'm going to be making my voice heard and telling uh, my members of, uh, of Congress that I'm not going to put up with this crap. Not that uh, people like, not that John McCain really gives a crap what I say. Not that John Kyle is going to listen to me. I could call his office day after day and say, you know, I just think it's ridiculous because what do they care? They're in their ivory tower. But I'll start electing people and I will make it known that I am tired of this. And if you people don't do it, then you deserve what you get. And what you get is you get more and more and more of your liberties taken away for the name of safety. Think about it. What do we have in this country right now? We have illegal wiretapping going on. We have the government admitting that they listen to millions of phone calls. We have this, um, this increase. And, and by the way, this went on during not only the Bush administration, not only did the Republicans pass this, the domestic spying, but the Democrats, not only did they approve it, then when they got in power, they made it even more powerful legislation. My point is, is neither party is the party of the people. It's not the party of liberty. And that's why I don't belong to either party. And this is just another example of it. And I'm not blowing it out of proportion. I'm trying to point out to you that this is just incrementally. You're losing ground very, very slowly. They're pushing you. And the people aren't pushing back against this. You're willing to take it. And that's what's so frustrating to me. And that's one of the reasons I became a libertarian in the first place. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in liberty. I believe in people and the people having the power. And the people are losing that power. And they don't even know it. It's what's so frustrating. I really do wonder how far we could go. And I wonder how far we will go in taking away people's rights. It's the question I continue to ask and I continue to be disappointed by the answers every single day. American people are just so willing to let it happen. Makes me nuts. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got a lot of other stuff still to get to. The Michael Grav Show's Stupid News File, the luckiest guy on the planet. We've got to talk about Kid Rock. He made some uh, very interesting statements. Kid Rock attacking Steven Tyler for destroying the music business or for crapping all over the music business. That's kind of funny. For a lot of reasons, actually. 
All right, that and much more still coming up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. The Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. You're young and you got your health. What do you want with the job? The Michael Graff Show. I miss the sound of your voice And I miss the rush of your skin And I miss the still of the silence As you breathe out And I breathe in If I could walk on water If I could tell you what's next Make you believe Make you forget Zip code famous. You're kind of creepy. I think this may be a stupid idea. Michael Groff Show. segment of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show on a Saturday. That's right, we're here on a Saturday. Alright, now, uh, Mike at KMGX.com, that is our email address, it's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Groff Show. Always get in contact with us uh, on AOL or on uh, EFNet IRC, the Channel Net Radio. All of our contact information and more available at the one, the only, michaelgroff.com. You can always find our PayPal information over there. Just a little hint. Our PayPal address, mike at kmgx.com. Always accepting your donations. You know how that works. This is just kind of fascinating. So I see that Kid Rock is opening up his pie hole about Steven Tyler. I just think it's funny. Kid Rock has had a a nice little career in music uh, somehow or another. I've never really been that big a fan. A couple of his songs are all right, but I've really never been into him that much. Uh, the guy is, you know, he's like, his whole thing is, I'm a regular middle class, you're a lower class rocker, a blue collar rocker. I'm from Detroit, man. You know, that's his whole shtick. And that's pretty much it. And yeah, he was with Pam Anderson for a while. Of course, who hasn't been with Pam Anderson for a while? 
He got the sloppy seconds or sloppy 50 seconds or 100 seconds or whatever from Pamela Anderson. He got the hep C, all that kind of stuff. So that was what, uh, and you know, he's again, he's had a few hits. Um, but anyway, uh, Kid Rock says, among other things, that he calls Steven Tyler's joining of American Idol, he calls it stupid. Which is fine. That's his, his opinion. That's great. But then he says that he is, the singer is, quote, destroying the sacred American institution of rock and roll. <laughs> Kid Rock is saying that. He's uh, fuming about Tyler's decision to sign up for the, uh, for the reality series, insisting that the star is making a massive mistake. This is a, an article that's in Entertainment Weekly. Kid Rock also says, quote, I think it's the stupidest thing he's ever done in his life. He's a sacred American institution of rock and roll, and he just threw it all out the window, just stomped on it, and set it on fire. I think whoever's advising him, we should bring back the guillotine, or whatever that thing is called. And if it was... And if it was himself, he needs some serious counseling. I love him to death, but I gotta speak the truth. Wow. Some pretty harsh words from Kid Rock. Says the guy's a, is, uh, he's an, inst he says Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith is an institution of American rock and roll. I think the, the part of the quote that gets me, though, is where he says, um, he just took the institution of rock and roll. He just threw it all out the window, just stomped on it, and set it on fire. Yeah, Kid Rock's saying that. This is the same guy that sampled Leonard Skinner and Werewolves of London. This is what Kid Rock has contributed to the sacred institution of American rock and roll. This song. Well, actually, he didn't contribute this song because this is, this would be a sample of Warren Zavon's Werewolves of London. But then he took this song and he stomped on it and set it on fire. I don't think Kid Rock has much room to really criticize Steven Tyler, who's had a hit in four decades. And then he samples Sweet Home Alabama in here. So he takes two songs that are a part of Americana and ruins them both. And he's going to sit here and talk about how Steven Tyler is degrading himself and how he's ruining a sacred institution of American rock and roll. I'm sure Leonard Skinner and Warren Zevon would probably disagree. They'd say that the person that's ruining American rock and roll is the guy that's sampling their songs and then turning it into a pretty bad song of his own. This guy is going to criticize somebody else. That's pretty amazing. So I thought I'd give you that update.
Kid Rock blasting Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. Hey, hey, Kid Rock, when you've had songs in four different decades, when you've released as many albums as Aerosmith has, when you can sell out arenas for 30 straight years, uh, then you're free to comment on what somebody else does. And when you stop sampling other people's songs and when you put together a song that doesn't suck, yeah, he teamed up with Sheryl Crow for another song. This song. Oh, this was a this these well, this was kind of a big hit actually. Living my life in a slow hell. Different girl every night at the hotel. That's just not my thing. I ain't seen the sun shining three damn days. You know, I don't really hate the guy or anything. It's just that I, I'm just not into it. Here's another song of his. Sitting here alone, I'm looking back on where I've roamed and laughing how I swore I'd win and not get burned. Yeah. What else have we got in here from Kid Rock? I'm just looking through our, our library. Here's a song where he used a little bit of auto-tune. I remember this song. This is what, like 1999-ish, I think? I've been sitting here Trying to find myself I get Cool, man. I need to rewind myself He used auto-tune before auto-tune was cool. And then he had this song. Cowboy. That's his whole thing, you know. Uh, I'm just, I'm a blue-collar rocker, man. I'm just like every other guy. I'm, we're an American band. We're all... Well, I'm packing up my game and I'm gonna head out west. We're, I'm a cool guy. Scripts and fake press, find a nest in the hills. Chill like Flint, buy an old drop top, find a spot to pimp. Then I'm a kid, rock it up and down your block. Go with a bottle of scotch and watch lots of crotch. Buy a yacht with a flag saying chill in the most. I'm sure Steven Tyler doesn't even give this thought, uh, uh, this guy uh, a second thought. I'm pretty sure. There's no way. Aerosmith, our Aerosmith library is huge, and we don't even have all their hits in the library. We don't have even some of their 70s hits. We don't have some of those. He's going to criticize him. Good. Good job, dude. All right, now, this is the luckiest guy on planet Earth, even luckier than Kid Rock, because 30 years ago, Kid Rock could have never had a music career. But... Here's a guy that is truly a lucky individual. His name is uh, John Blackburn. He's a 62-year-old guy, and he is a golfer. Now, I don't know. People that play golf a lot will tell you that what this guy did is, is amazing, and it is. It is nothing short of fantastic, beyond fantastic. I uh, I have to tell you, but though, that when people get this kind of luck, this is the kind of luck where, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's kind of useless, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> this guy should have bought a lottery ticket instead. But check it out. This guy, uh, John Blackburn, he stunned golfers with a hole-in-one the other day on an 183-yard fourth hole at the uh, Brookmans Park Golf Course Club in Hatfield. I think this is in England. 
Now, getting a hole-in-one is kind of remarkable. It's, it's really cool. It's a great accomplishment in golf, and it's something that not everybody does. Some people golf for their entire life, and they don't have that happen to them. Uh, but this guy, not only did he get a hole-in-one on the fourth hole, but then minutes later, lightning struck a second time as the retired stockbroker hit the ball straight into the cup on the 141-yard sixth hole. His miraculous shots beat odds of more than 67 million to one. More than four times those of winning the lottery. John Blackburn of Potter's Bar. uh, Let's see. He toasted his double hole in one with friends at the clubhouse. He added, quote, I couldn't believe it when the first one went in there. Uh, It was a bit of a celebration. I played the fifth and nothing special happened, but... I hit the sixth, and it went straight in the hole again. It was a total surprise. I was extremely lucky. I had to buy a few drinks in the clubhouse, that's for sure. My reaction was elation. I was more than a little bit pleased. Everybody was pleased for me. Quote, I've never considered myself a lucky person, but they say things happen in threes, so maybe I should go buy a lottery ticket. Well, maybe. 67 million to one odds. I mean, uh, two, who hits two holes in one in the same course, in the same round? Bachelor John was playing at the informal midweek hustle tournament with friends on uh, Wednesday, the 20th of October, when he scored the two holes, or the two aces. Uh, the 16 handicapper used a three wood on the 183 yard fourth hole and a six iron for the 141 yard sixth hole to achieve the incredible feat. He finished with 80 shots on the one on the par 71 course, and friends have framed his scorecard. What an accomplishment! I mean, the guy—it's—it's it's great. And yeah, a study in Golf Digest magazine in 2000 reported that the odds of doing such a feat are 67 million to one. <laughs> That's great. I'm not a golfer. I, I know that golf is, golf's one of those sports. I guess this guy, he started golfing in 1994. So he's been golfing for 16 years. And he finally got a, I guess he had never gotten a hole in one before. So now he gets two of them. Isn't that how it works? I'm sure there's a golfer out there right now. I wonder if my uncle, I have an uncle that's a huge golfer. This guy, this guy does nothing but golf, man. This guy, he is, he's retired. He's out there. He golfs all the time. He golfs. He's, he lives in Minneapolis and they golf until it gets so cold. He'll continue to golf until it gets so cold that you just can't do it anymore. Like in November or December up there, he'll be golfing. He's still golfing right now, late October. Long as there's not thunderstorms, and maybe even if there are. He'll be out there. He'll be golfing. He doesn't care. I wonder if he's ever gotten a hole in one. Probably not. He's been golfing a lot lot longer than this guy. And uh, here's a weird story. You know, you can be killed by caffeine. You can overdose on caffeine. Although it does take a remarkable amount. Well, actually, it doesn't take that much caffeine. I mean, if you if you just take it in, in terms of how much it actually takes to kill you, it's really not that much. But it's a lot more than most people would. A British man died after poisoning himself with two spoonfuls of caffeine powder bought over the internet. 23-year-old Michael Lee Bedford from Mansfield, Central England, 
was at a party in April when he swallowed caffeine powder that a friend bought online for three, well, actually for $5.26, or $3 or three pounds 29. So $5.26. He washed the powder down with an energy drink, and around 15 minutes later, he began sweating and vomiting blood. He later died at Kings Mill Hospital in, uh, let's see, in Nottinghamshire. The court heard that Bradford uh, ignored the product's recommendations to take no more than a sixteenth of a teaspoon, and instead he took two full uh, spoonfuls of the powder, ingesting a level of caffeine seventy times more than is usually found in a high energy drink. Speaking outside the court, Bedford's uh, aunt. Sue Burton said, quote, I think there should be a warning on it saying it can kill. Well, there was. It said only take a 16th of a a teaspoon. Nottingham coroner Dr. Nigel Chapman said, quote, caffeine is so freely available on the Internet for three pounds, 29, but it's so lethal if taken in the wrong dose. And here we see the consequence. So many people are upset and um, distraught by the death of Michael. Hey, look, uh, I've never heard of somebody ordering caffeine powder. Maybe I'm just totally naive, but I've heard of people doing coke. I've heard of people doing heroin, blast, meth, weed, uh, popping pills, crushing pills into powder and snorting them, whatever. I've heard of people doing all sorts of stuff at parties. I've never heard of somebody going, you know what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to just take a whole bunch of caffeine. Yeah! I've never heard of somebody doing that. That's a first. I, I am in disbelief. He also criticized the product, the doctor. He criticized the product, which was not named in the, uh, in the inquest. He criticized it for recommending such a small dosage, which could be easily ignored. Quote, who would take one sixteenth of a teaspoon? It's such a small dosage. The warning is so small on the front of it. Chapman says, quote, if you're sharing a bag, carrying it around, and if you haven't seen the warning, it could be that anyone at the party could have taken it. It's so dangerous to take something like this. Well, that's the point. Don't buy it then. Of course, this is England, where nobody ever has personal accountability. You know, you you blame the manufacturer. You blame blame everybody but the person that actually took it. Like, this whole story centers around, wow, they should have really put a warning on there. There is a warning. Yeah, but if, you know, if you take it out of the bottle and you put it in a bag, you take the caffeine powder and you put it in a bag and you carry it around at a party and you just, well, who goes to a party and just takes a mysterious powder that somebody puts in front of you and says, eat this? Who does that? And then who washes it down with an energy drink? England, man. People are weird over there. Roland, I'm, I say, I'm going to just randomly take this powder. I have no idea what it is. I'm just going to take a couple of spoonfuls of it, I say. <laughs> and then be bouncing off the walls. I'm going to wash it down with this fine energy drink here. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Naturalism. <laughs> and, uh, oh, here's, here, this is funny. This is pretty funny. A judge has ruled that a young girl accused of running down an elderly woman while riding a bicycle with training wheels on a Manhattan sidewalk two years ago can be sued for negligence. I don't know if you've heard about this story, but 
Justice Paul Wooten of State Supreme Court in Manhattan said that the girl was not liable for the injuries sustained to the 87-year-old woman, but merely permitted a lawsuit brought against her, uh, another boy, and their parents to move forward. The suit uh, says, uh, let's see, that Justin, Justice Wooten allowed... Um, and uh, is uh, now going to proceed, claims that in April 2009, Juliet Brightman and Jacob Cohn, who are both four years of age, were racing their bicycles under the supervision of their parents, Dana Brighton and Rachel Cohn, on the sidewalk of a building on East 52nd Street. At some point in the race, they struck an 87-year-old woman named Claire Minah. She was walking in front of the building and according to the complaint was, quote, seriously and severely injured, suffering a hip fracture that required surgery. She died three months later of unrelated causes. Her estate sued the children and their mothers, claiming that they had acted negligently during the accident. In a response, Juliet's lawyer, James P. Tyree, argued that the girl... Um, was not engaged in adult activity at the time. She was, uh, as, as he says, quote, she was riding her bicycle with training wheels under the supervision of her mother and was too young to be held liable for negligence. The legal papers, Mr. Tyree uh, added, uh, says that courts have held that an infant under the age of four is conclusively presumed to be incapable of negligence. So you're going to say that somebody under the age of four is is not uh, possible to be negligent, but somebody who's four, oh, they can be negligent. I mean, you do understand what negligence means under the law. Uh, negligence in this case means that the, the person, in this case, the two four-year-olds in question, acted in a manner that was completely uh, devoid of, of understanding the consequences of their actions. They were acting purposely in a manner that disregarded consequences for their actions. No, they don't understand consequences. You know why? Because they're four-year-olds racing bicycles down a street. Now, the woman got hit. She got injured. But here's, here's the real kicker to this story is the woman's dead now. The woman's dead. So how can there possibly be a lawsuit brought against these two? The woman is dead. She died of unrelated causes. So you can't say that it's because of these two uh, people that hit her, these two kids, these four-year-olds that hit her. Uh, you can't say that, it's, that that's what caused her to die or that that's what... So how can you sue for injuries that no longer matter because the woman's dead? I mean, I'm not trying to be callous here, but let's, let's face it. This woman got hit and now she's been killed. And uh, she's, she's, well, actually, she died of unrelated causes. So how can you even assess that this is the fault of these two kids? And how can you sue them? What kind of damages are there? There are no damages here. How can a dead woman be damaged? Her estate is going to sue. What a waste of money out of the estate. I know if I was one of the uh, beneficiaries of this estate, I would not be very happy that this woman's estate was wasting time to sue people where there's no... How can there be damage? Well, she suffered a broken hip. Yeah, well, she's dead now. What are you going to do? Make right, make reparations for the fact that this woman is now dead? What difference does it make? Seems silly. 
a four-year-old can be held for negligence. Four-year-old doesn't even know what negligence is. A four-year-old is not acting in a manner that is reckless or that's acting in a manner that it could potentially harm somebody because they don't really know the difference. They, they know that they're racing their bikes and they know that they're having fun. And okay, they hit somebody. Look, uh, when I was a kid, I hit people on my bike sometimes. We, you know, kids, we do that. And yes, there should be consequences. Obviously, there should, you know, maybe, I don't know, there should be something. But I know what's going to happen is they're going to go forward with a lawsuit. And they're going to go after, like, pain and suffering and all this. How much pain and suffering could there be? The woman is now dead. Of unrelated causes. That point really needs to be made very clear here. People will sue for anything. You got a judge saying that you, you can have a four-year-old that's negligent? Really? Wow, that is, that's horrible. And once again, God, I mean, first we have people that are just willingly handing over their rights left and right. They're handing over their liberties. And now we have a judge that says that a four-year-old can be held liable for negligence. That just seems hard to imagine. It really does. Oh, well, um, I guess that's it. Call it a day. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Also, that's our PayPal address. You can donate monetarily to this program. Again, via PayPal, Mike at KMGX.com. The address over there. Certainly, we do encourage that. We're also on AOL Instant Messenger. The screen name over there is Michael Graff Show. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. That is up and available to you 24-7, 365. Always leave us a message. I do eventually respond to all of them, including all the emails, all the messages, including the death threats. I, you know, I, I was going to do it on this podcast. I should have. I don't know. I'll do it next time. I, uh, I think I got one of the sweetest messages ever from a listener. And then uh, and I got another message that was maybe one of the most mean-spirited ever. I received both of those within about a 24-hour span of each other. I swear I got one of the nicest messages from a listener on uh, Facebook. I, I should read this, but I'll do it next time. Um, I got a couple of very nice messages, actually. So I'll, I'll share those uh, next time. And then uh, gives... See, that's a tease. Gives you something to look forward to. And then you get to hear a little bit of hate mail. I haven't had a good piece of hate to read in a while. So we'll roll that out on another edition of this show. It's uh, the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Thank you so much for checking us out. It's been our Saturday edition of this show. It's uh, doing this show on a Saturday. That's... Uh, well, why not? I've got nothing else going on. What else do I have to do but sit here all day and do a podcast? I, I really don't. I'm surprised this show is only 70-some uh, minutes. I, this, we should have been here for six hours. There certainly is enough to talk about between Obama and the election coming up and terror plots. And people getting freaked out because somebody smoked some weed. Unbelievable. All right, see you next time, probably tomorrow, Monday-ish, for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Have a great night, everybody. See you next time.